Saturday, we were busy here at the church because we had what was called the General Assembly, and that is a, a gathering of delegates and pastors from all the sister churches in the conference that we're a part of. Uh, Andrew Todd was the director of, the conf of that conference, of the, the assembly, I mean, and it was just uh, really well done, went very smoothly. There are many of you, uh, you made this work through your volunteer help in the kitchen and driving and coordinating things. Uh, Mel and Karen Maccabe uh, coordinating the food and, and uh, estimating head counts and, and ordering it and, and getting it set and all of you helping in different ways. So uh, thank you very much. It was, I think the Lord was really honored. I think a lot of people were blessed and um, we don't have to do it for another 10 years now. Yeah. If you want to be a part of that delegation when we go to the Hawaii church to have this general assembly. Okay. Uh, in front of you, in front of your, uh, in your pew, in the, in the back of the pew in front of you, there should be a connection card. And hopefully um, uh, there is. You'll find that in front of you. If you would please uh, just fill that out as, and, and, uh, as much as you like and leave it on your pew and we'll, we'll gather it up later on. Uh, also, on the back of that card, there's ways you can communicate with us. So, uh, hopefully, that card is helpful to you. And uh, as you're filling that out, I'll share with you a little bit about some of the announcements. We have lunch after service today. Uh, and that's a real blessing. You know, our lunch teams are just such a blessing to this church. We don't see them, they're, 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 they're never in front of us here during service, but they're in the kitchen preparing for us. And when we get out of here, uh, lunch, uh, you know, lunch is ready and it's a great time. Of fellowship. You may wonder, why do we do lunch? You know, we're one of the few churches I know that does lunch after service. The reason why we do this is that it is so easy to attend church, and as soon as it's over, boom, out the doors we go and off to our cars, and we're gone. But having lunch, offering lunch to everyone in the church allows for us to, just to stay a little longer, to sit at the table, to kind of see the body of Christ here at West Covina, and to have an opportunity to sit down with maybe you, someone you don't know, or, or just to enjoy the atmosphere of believers together. So hopefully it is something, and I think, I think it has been a blessing that it enhanced, has, has enhanced the ministry here at this church. So uh, know that the lunch is for everyone. Um, there's parents of preschoolers. Uh, that is today at, uh, at 12 o'clock in room 2. And there are other things you can read here, but one, I think one thing I want to point out here is we have uh, Jessica's baby shower, and that's July 30th. What is that? Today is the two Sundays from now? Yeah, two Sundays from now is Jessica's baby shower. So keep that in mind, please. Okay. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up the First Samuel 16. If, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We're going to have the, uh, the, the verses up here on the screen. 1 Samuel 16. I'm just going to read a few verses just to kind of give us a theme for today, help us understand what we're going to be talking about. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1, 6, and 7. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. 
I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, start our, our sermon series on the life of David, this is a very basic lesson in, in the Christian realm, in the Christian kingdom, and and all the truths that you have for us, this is a basic understanding that we need to grab onto, and one that really is, is, is to teach us and help us understand that this is the kind of heart and eyes you want us to have. So bless this, this, this sermon, this teaching, and uh, just speak to us where we're at, Father, spiritually, to receive this truth from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, over the years, China has had various forms of what we call one-child policy. Uh, it began about 25 years ago where families in China were limited to one child. Now, you might think, wow, that's kind of weird, but that's how it's been in China for the last 25 years. And how does that affect the Chinese people is that in, in, in the Chinese culture, the, they always look at any female in the families most likely going to get married and go off to the family with her husband. But any male in the family has that responsibility, and especially the oldest male, has the responsibility of taking care of the parent. Now, China does not have what we call a social security system like we have. So if you had one child you had to hold on to, and the government says you can only have one, is it going to be a boy or a girl? It's going to be a boy because that boy is your meal ticket for later on, okay? So what happens if you have a girl? You want to you you have another chance to get another child. So what happens? So over the years, especially 25 years ago in the early stages when this law was made to try to curve the population growth of China, girls were abandoned different ways. Girls are abandoned on roadsides. They're abandoned in, in bus stations. They're abandoned in, in, in boxes in front of orphan, uh, uh, orphanages. And um, it's created a real interesting cultural shift over there. But the thing that's interesting over there, when I went over there, it was very early. All three of my children are from China. I've been to China three times. And um, to give you an example, one, a couple of my kids were, were found in cardboard boxes in front of gates. Uh, one, of my, my, one of my daughters was uh, found underneath a bus station seat, and they took me to the station where they found her. Um, but anyway, how this would work in the early days is that they had so many ch baby girls being abandoned, they didn't know what to do with them, so they take them to these government centers, and they had these large rooms, and they'd line up these babies in these rooms where the nurses would come in and take care of them. But there are so many babies and so few nurses that these nurses would go in there and the human factor is they would be attracted to the babies who were the cutest babies. They'd be attracted to the babies that had that bubbly personality and, and were cute babies, and they're the ones who would regularly get the attention. And the babies who are not quite as cute are not quite so bubbly in their personality, many of them died. And so those rooms, by, um, by, by, not by the Chinese, but by those who visited, would visit these, these rooms, they were, they were labeled the dying rooms. Because so many of these children would die. And why did they die? 
because by outward appearance, they weren't attractive. It was one of the saddest things. How impressed are you with outward appearance? How, how does outward appearance affect you and your thoughts in regards to, let's say, a blind date? How about um, your future daughter-in-law or son-in-law? When you first meet them, outward appearance, how, is that, how does that affect you? How about in our case, the church? How about our next pastor? Yeah? <laughs> All right. And then when you flip it over, when you think of this topic and go on the flip side, in what ways do you try to impress the people around you by your appearance, by, by how you appear to them, your outward appearance? Today, we're going to start a sermon series on David. And remember, Pastor Corey was up here, and he just, uh, uh, he, he was looking, he was dressed to look like David in his latter years, and he just did an incredibly uh, accurate and moving job of, of communicating the life of David as David recalled his life uh, in the Lord. Well, today we're starting a series where we're going to be preaching through different, different parts of of uh, the Bible that reveal David's life. And what we're going to do today is we're talking about the very earliest time when uh, we look at David, this man, uh, who was a very flawed man. I love studying about David. Matter of fact, when I was in Brazil, uh, for my own personal time, I, I slowly went through First and Second Samuel because David was such a, I was drawn to this man because he was so flawed. I relate very well with flawed people. You know, I look at myself and I say, yeah, if God could love this person, he can love me. And, um, and so uh, uh, David is one of these characters that even though we see all these flaws, we look at how the Bible talks about him and that God just loved this man. And, and in spite of the flaws, God was patient and God continued to love him and use him in ways that... Uh, that maybe many in our human eyes, we would have given up on him. And why is that? Because of David's heart. Because of the inner person of, of who David was. And that only God can see. See, that's a huge lesson. Because we are so impressed by what we see. We are so impressed by the outward appearance. But God sees the inner person. So to give you a little bit of background here, remember that, that Saul was the very first king of the nation of Israel, and David followed him. And the reason why David was chosen by God is because Saul was, was failing uh, in God's eyes. And God was putting David, a man who, was, who the Bible talks about as a man who is after God's own heart, God was going to move him into, onto the throne. That's where we're going to start, and we're going to um, kind of get a picture of David. Now, to put this into world history, I, I, I've always liked world history, and maybe some of you too. Know that David was born around 1040 B.C., so roughly about 1,000 years prior to the birth of Christ, uh, David was born. So that kind of plug that into your world history calendar when you look at that. Um, so let's go forward, and let's turn again to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and uh, we're going to talk about how it's, uh, how it's so important for us as believers to keep on learning, and we're going to see that and how God 
work through and use Samuel. Let's look at verse 1 again. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? In other words, Saul was having such a difficult time and, and, and turning his back on the Lord. And, 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 and Samuel, who was the priest, the, uh, the prophet, Samuel was uh, the one that God spoke through. He was, he was in such agony for Saul because Saul was not living up to be the king of Israel. How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. I'm sure it stands out to you, Bethlehem, right? And that's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was was of the family line of David. And so Jesus, our Messiah, I mean, the Messiah of the Jews and our Savior, had to be born, was born in the, the city of David. City of David. So who was Samuel? Just to go back, Samuel was the key man between Israel and God. God spoke through Samuel. God spoke to the kings through Samuel. God spoke to the people of Israel through Samuel. God spoke through Samuel, and Samuel was was God's mouthpiece to the world at that time. Yet, you notice in this verse, in verse 1, God directs him to travel. And he already said, hey, I've already chosen the one who's going to be the next king. So he sends Samuel there, and when Samuel gets there, he sees this family full of sons, and they are just a big strapping guys, you know. These sons, you look at them, and they look like guys who could lead, look like guys who could really be that kingly figure for the nation of Israel. Um, and so Sam, but yet God did not reveal, as of at this time when we're reading, who that person is. God could have said the name. God could have said, it's this one, it's this one. Don't worry about it, I got it pegged. But he just sends them there, and he's going to take Samuel through a process. Why do you think that is? Because even though Samuel was the, the, probably the closest man on the face of the earth to God at that time in human history, he still had to learn. God was going to take Samuel through a process that was going to teach him something very basic, but something that Samuel needed to learn and we need to learn today too. And that is, God doesn't look at outward appearances. It's to understand God and his ways. That's big a part of what we do in this church, is, is we want to make, make, make sure that we all as believers understand there's man's ways and there's God's ways, and the Bible reveals God's ways. So no matter how long you have walked with the Lord, no matter how long or how many times you've read through the Bible cover to cover, there is always more to learn. There's no such thing as a Christian who can say, hey, I have arrived. There is always more to learn. I am just shocked so many times on how I could read a text over and over again, teach it to you, preach it to you, and then when I look at the next time, I see something new. 
When Pastor Corey was up here and acting out the life of David and telling us about David's life, I sat there and, I, and he said a few things. I said, oh my gosh, I never thought about it that way. It was just an eye-opening thing to me about the life of David. And I said, man, that is so great. See, people, we got to keep on learning. And I've said this to you over and over again. When you stop learning, I don't care if it has to do with cooking. I don't care if it has to do with raising a kid. And when you stop learning, you stop getting better. That's the bottom line of life. So we want to keep on learning. And this is exemplified here in the life of Samuel, where God says, go over there. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but I'm going, to, we're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to work you through this process. Because that's what spiritual maturity is all about. You growing in your understanding of God and his ways. And you become more and more mature. That word mature also means more and more complete. More compassionate. More more dependent on the Lord, more loving. You know, I had to serve in a foreign country because of you. Did you know that? I had to spend 14 years with high humidity in the Amazon, 14 years swatting bugs all the time, sleeping under a a mosquito night every night, 14 years of dirty public toilets because of you. See, because God didn't see me fit to be your pastor until I went through that. Everything I've done before arriving to this church was done to get me to West Covina Christian Church. And I believe whatever I do after West Covina Christian Church, you help prepare me for that. We keep learning. And we want to keep going forward because God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. When we look at the Bible, we see that. Think of Abraham. You know? I had a walk on this earth 43 years before God felt he could trust a kid to me. 43 years before I had my first child. He didn't trust me with a kid before 43 years. Okay? Look at Peter, that impulsive fisherman. You know, publicly rejecting Christ three times, but he grew in maturity, and over years he became the the evangelist for for the Jews, for the early church. Look at Joshua. He led Israel to the promised land. But he had to spend 40 years in the wilderness with them before he was ready to lead them into the promised land. See, God wants to take the sharp edges off our life. And he's always preparing us for the next thing. Now, am I saying you're always going to be doing the next thing for him? No, you're not. Because if you stray away from the Lord, if you say, hey, God, I'm going to compartmentalize you and you're just going to be my, my Sunday God, well, then you're not going to learn what that, what that place is. I'll be honest, you won't. But if you truly want to know God's will for your life, and you're going you're to do your best to stay close to him and live a life of, 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 of spiritual truth for him, then he's going to show you. Everything you've been doing is preparation for that next thing. And that's what we're learning here. Samuel is learning, even though he was the top spiritual dog of his time, 
He still had to learn. He still had to learn. We've got to keep on learning. Look at this. Look at, let's look at God looks at the heart because that's what Samuel had to learn. Look at verses 7 through 10. Here's Samuel in 6. He says, Surely the Lord's anointing stands before me. He saw all these, these, these guys, these, these guys that all look like Olymp, Olympic athletes standing before him. He said, Man, for sure one of these guys is going to be king. But look what God says in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Three years ago, on the day before the 4th of July, so that means July 3rd, three years ago, our dog died. And she was the neatest dog. She was really the neatest dog. Inoperable tumor. She was really just a beautiful dog. Really beautiful. When, when we picked her out, I mean, she was beautiful. We went to a rescue shelter. Beautiful dog. Mixed German Shepherd and what they call Australian cattle dog. It was just a, had beautiful markings and a smart, oh my gosh, this dog was so smart, I expected it to talk. That thing was just, man, just a smart, smart dog. She was loyal. I love that dog. One day I come home, and Amy and my daughter are out. They went out into the Inland Empire. And as soon as I walked through the door, they said, hey, Dad, we brought a dog home. Oh, yeah? I go out there, and here's this big skinny, undernourished dog that looked like some dog you see running wild on the street. I look at that dog, ah, man. And then I get near it, and boom, it takes off. It's so skittish, it's hiding in the corner of the yard once he sees me. Doesn't come near me. I'm thinking, here's this ugly-looking dog that's scared to death of me, and here i got to start feeding this thing. She wasn't pretty, she wasn't smart, she didn't appear teachable, but my daughter, who loves dogs, said, no, Dad, I know, this is the one. She saw something in that dog I couldn't see in a thousand years at that time. Today, I love that dog. That dog is such a good dog. Just fits so well in the family. See, if you're like me, we make fast, impulsive judgments. And a lot of it has to do with what we see. And what we see is filtered through our life experiences and our personalities and our, our, our likes and dislikes. And boom, in a moment, we make these judgments. And then we respond to the person according to those judgments we make. Let's go on. Look at verse 11. 
verse 11 through 13. So he asked Jesse, are, there, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought, to, brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. David may have been fine in appearance, but he was a little guy. He was young. He looked like some guy that you, you don't even want him to handle sharp objects. You know, he didn't look like he could do anything that could be kingly. But that was the one. That was the man. That was the future king of Israel. See, his brothers are older. His brothers look like men of experience, courageous men, physically bigger, taller, manly looking, kind of like Pastor Corey. You know? But God said, no, nah, those brothers aren't the ones. See, and he did this, and, and for all the other brothers and for Jesse to see, he said, do this in front of all of them. Let them learn, too, that I don't look at outward appearance. I look at the heart. I look at the inner person. See, that's a huge lesson, isn't it? See, from that day forward, David received also the blessing of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and in spite of all his flaws, all his flaws as father and king, and we're going to touch upon a lot of those flaws as we go forward in our study of David. In spite of it all, David became the greatest of all the kings who ever ruled Israel. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? For us to look at the heart and not the appearance. That's a challenge. And that challenge is saying, hey, Give them grace. You know what grace is? That means we receive grace from the Lord. That means receiving something, receiving something that someone may not deserve. And you don't know if they deserve it or not. And it doesn't matter. We receive God's grace and God's saying, you be gracious toward those around you. Don't make those judgments. Don't make those judgments. Give people that chance that second chance, that third chance. Don't make that judgment, okay? So let's, 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 let's take this subject a little bit more practical, okay, for us as a West Covina Christian church. What kind of heart are we seeking for a pastor? For those who may not know, we're seeking a pastor for the church here. As a matter of fact, we got a couple, of, a couple of candidates that we're seriously looking at. But you know, that's just it. The problem is we're looking at them. What kind of heart do we want to have we hope this, this pastor we, we finally come to choose, what kind of heart do we hope he's going to have? Well, let me share some things with you. Because I, after 32 years of being a pastor, I've kind of gotten a, a little bit of an opinion on what kind of 
heart I think a pastor should have. So in a brief way, let me talk about this. These are the intangibles. These are the things we don't see on the resume or application. These are the things that when you're sitting across the table from them, you're not going to be able to know whether this person has it or not. But over time, you will see whether they do or not by their actions, by the way they interact with us, by the way they respond to different situations. Number one, let me read from you Psalm 25, 4 through 5. That says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. A pastor must have a teachable heart. Now, why is that so important to you guys? Okay, You say, hey man, didn't this guy go to seminary? Didn't this guy have life, have experiences as a pastor? He has to have a teachable heart because you know what? He has to adjust. He, you don't have to adjust to him. He has to adjust to you. Whoever comes here has to adjust to you. You don't adjust to him. He has to adjust to you. He has to fit into to, to this family of God. He has to adjust to, and fit into this culture that we have here at the West Community Christian Church. He has to be teachable. And with Pastor Corey, he has to be able to, to listen to Pastor Corey and understand why we do what we do and what's important to us and be teachable and be able to receive that, to, to not only fit in, but to be able to minister in an effective way to you. He has to be teachable. He has to be flexible. If he digs his heels in, man, he's worthless. He's got to have that teachable heart. And see, when you boil it all down to basics, we all do, right? We all got to have that teachable. If not, you're not going to grow. You're going to just hang on to who you are and say, well, this is who I am. Lump it or leave it. And you're not going to grow. So teachable heart is basic for any Christian, but especially when we're talking about a pastor fitting into a new church, has to have that teachable heart. Okay, number two, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's big. You want to have a pastor who has a welcoming heart. You want to have a pastor who's approachable. A welcoming heart means that, that when you look at this guy, as you get to know this guy, you're going to go home, you might, he may be eating lunch there, and you may be walking around him just kind of looking at him or something, or he sees you, you your eyes meet or something. This guy's got to be approachable. This guy's got to have that give off to you that he welcomes you to come to him. He can't be timid about it either. Hopefully not. Now, I'm John's kind of ideal picture. So if you're saying, whoa, if he doesn't do that, I'm talking him off. Okay, no, 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 no. I'm giving you an ideal picture, you know, of, of, of a pastor. But he's got to have at least some hints of these things. Okay, a welcoming heart. You feel comfortable approaching him. And he's saying, come to me. Come on, come to me. I want to get to know you. Hey, we're in the family of God together. I'm here for you. Third, last one, John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. A pastor has, that, has to have that shepherd's heart. Now, what's a shepherd's heart? You know, sheep are, 
You know, if you read anything about sheep, they are really one of the stupidest animals in the world. I'm not saying you guys are stupid, but I am saying that a shepherd has to be able to look at his flock and understand to a certain degree the needs that that flock has because those dumb sheep aren't going to say anything. Right? That shepherd has to be able to make good decisions that are going to bless that flock, protect that flock, nourish that flock. Because that flock may not say anything. He has to be able to see the signs. He has to have a heart that says, hey, you know what? You're more important to me than this church. That's a shepherd's heart. It's kind of a, it's not, I wouldn't say it's instinctive, but it's something where he sees that as important and gives that attention. You see, all of us are different. And let's say if you're a new parent, you've got to train yourself in a lot of ways to be that way toward your child. If you're naturally not instinctively uh, uh, attentive to some things or the needs of your child, you're going to be, it's going to be like that dining room in China. There's going to be ignored children and children that are not going to do well. Well, that's the same way with the church. If a pastor does not see that as important to, 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 to know and to meet your needs, then he has to grow in that area. So I believe a pastor has to have that instinctive or that pastor's heart I want to protect and nourish and feed you guys. You know, Dave was a man. He was a man, had a lot of flaws, but he was God's man. And why was he God's man? He was God's man because God sees the inner person. And you know what? When you think of the big lesson for us this morning, God sees the inner you. God sees the inner me. And I'm embarrassed. <laughs> there are times I am embarrassed what God sees in me. I'm embarrassed on the things I sometimes think. I'm embarrassed with some of the things that I do. I'm embarrassed with the thoughts that I have. I'm embarrassed. And yet, I, that, what this is telling me is that God knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm doing. He knows what, I'm, what my heart is. I think there are times my heart is dark, getting close to black. And I'm saying, oh man, does God see my heart if I really think about it? Yes, he does. Does he still love me? Yes, he does. And that's one of the real blessings of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Because of what Christ has done, no matter what we do, God still loves us. Why? Because he just doesn't see what we do. He sees the inside. And when he sees the inside, he sees his son. He's always rooting for us. Always rooting for us. Because of his love. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Here we go. We're kicking it off. Starting to study on David. Bless us, Father, as we go forward. Help us to, to see the truths that you have for us to learn through the life of this man who is very human, but also very special, because he is one of yours. In Jesus' name, amen.